0: Well good morning everybody. It's so wonderful to see you here. You here on this final Sunday and final day of 2023. My name is Tim Park. I serve as our lead pastor. If this is your first time visiting EFree Church, a special welcome to you on this wonderful Sunday morning, and I want to welcome our students here this morning. I love it when our students worship with us. Today we're giving our uh, student ministries a break, our youth ministry and our children's ministry. They're taking a break today to give their volunteers a much-deserved break, but I benefit from their presence here. All these students, I love seeing them sitting with their parents. So, so kids, thank you for being here. Pastor Tim is encouraged to see you here this morning. I can't think of a better place than to be than here at church on the final Sunday of 2023. And we're wrapping up this year with a message entitled, The Best is Yet to Come. The best is yet to come. And in parentheses, it says, Jesus turns water into wine. We're going to look at the most fascinating passage I can think of to end 2023 on and usher in 2024. The best is yet to come that ought to give every single one of us hope here this morning. Because if 2023 was a good year for you, and I hope it was, guess what? The best is still yet to come. There's more that God has planned for you in the coming years and into eternity. Now, if 2023 was not that great of a year for you, then I've got good news. The best is yet to come. So either way, you win. It's a win-win situation. But as followers of Jesus Christ, no matter what we experienced in 2023, or any year for that matter, we can celebrate the fact that the best is yet to come. Today we're starting chapter two of our uh, series that we're calling The Wonders of Jesus. We are in week six of this long series, and we've finished chapter one. We spent five weeks in chapter 1 of John's Gospel, and today we begin chapter 2. As we begin chapter 2, and as we look ahead to 2024, we can celebrate the fact that the best absolutely is yet to come. Now, since we are in week 6, I figure this is a good opportunity to give you a brief recap that brought us to this point. The series title is The Wonders of Jesus. Now, if you go to the dictionary and you look up the word wonder, it gives you many different definitions. Wonder can mean curiosity. I wonder what they're going to serve at the wedding reception. That's what I ask myself every time I go to a wedding. Because for me, I love food, and especially at a wedding. And I can go back and think back to all the weddings I've attended. And I could pretty much name the menu of every wedding that I attended. That's how important food is to me. And so I wonder what they're going to serve at the wedding reception. That's actually very appropriate for this passage today. So wonder can mean curiosity. Hmm, I wonder. Wonder can also refer to a remarkable place or a thing or an event. Sedona, Arizona is a place of wonder and beauty, isn't it? If you've ever been to Sedona, how can you stand and look at that place and say there is no God? It's a place of wonder and beauty. And when we were there last, I think a few years ago, we took our dog to the most beautiful dog park in the entire world. And it was in Sedona, Arizona. A place is a place of wonder and beauty. And then wonder can also refer to a feeling of admiration and amazement toward a person. I mentioned a few weeks back that over the summer, I got to see Shohei Otani pitch and hit at Angel Stadium in person. Little did I know when I was at that game, that that would be the last time I would see him in an angel's uniform. Now, my question is, what am I going to do with my Shohei Otani bobblehead dolls in an angel's uniform? Maybe they'll become a collector's item. Wonder, amazement, admiration, curiosity. That's what we've been exploring throughout the gospel of John. John's gospel is one of four gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the other three gospels. If you were to sit down and read all four gospels in their entirety in one sitting, here's what you would discover. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, their gospels sound very similar to one another. In fact, in some cases, they use identical words. John's gospel is very different. It's unique. It's very, very different from Matthew's, Mark's, or Luke's gospels. We refer to those three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as the synoptic gospels. Synoptic meaning a common perspective. They are so common that 90% of Mark's stories can be found in either Matthew's gospel or Luke's gospel. 90%. But here's the thing with John's gospel. 90% of John's gospel is unique to John's gospel. I find that very fascinating. John's gospel is different from the other three in so many different ways. His style, his uh, format, very different. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they spend brief, periods, just episodes going from place to place. John, he likes to lengthen out dialogues between Jesus and individuals. And we'll study some of those dialogues in the coming weeks. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, their Gospels are predominantly chronological. They go in order. John, he kind of bounces around from place to place. And a few weeks ago, I said, one of the biggest things that you will not see in John's gospel, are the parables. You will not find a single parable included in John's gospel. And there's a reason for that. You see, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they wrote to an early generation, an early generation of Christians and those who were waiting for their Messiah. And so, Matthew, Mark, and Luke included parables because Jesus often spoke in parables to give people who had spiritual eyes and spiritual ears the opportunity to understand what he was saying. But there were many people who had rejected Jesus already. And if they had rejected Jesus, Jesus would speak in parables. And as long as they rejected Jesus, they would not understand the truth of those parables. John was writing to a whole new generation of Christians and a whole new generation of those who had not yet heard the gospel. And by that time, the emphasis was on revealing the truth. No longer concealing, but revealing. And so that's why John does not include a single parable in his gospel. And the purpose of John's gospel is found in four words. And you see the words right here on our Title. The subtitle says, That You May Believe. That is the purpose of John's gospel. And so that serves as our backdrop. And now I invite you to turn to John chapter 2, to this most fascinating passage. John chapter 2 will be in verses 1 through 12 this morning. I'm going to start by reading verses 1 and 2 for you. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to attend the wedding. Let's stop right there. A wedding is a big deal, isn't it? It is a big deal. A wedding is a cause for celebration. And every couple wants their wedding to be picture perfect. That's why every detail is considered. Flowers, photography, videography, venue, menu, officiant. That's important too, right? So every detail is considered. And one of the most important aspects of a wedding is the guest list. You want those who are important to you to celebrate your special day with you. And we're told here that Jesus' mother was at this wedding. We're also told that Jesus and his disciples were there as well. Now, this tells me something very important. Whoever the bride and groom were, now we don't know who they were, but whoever the bride and groom were, Jesus meant something to them. So much so that they invited Jesus and his disciples to their wedding day. Jesus was invited to a wedding. I want you to stop and think think about that for a minute. Jesus, when he walked the earth, he was human as any human, and he was invited to a wedding. Now, can you picture Jesus going to his mailbox, opening it up, and pulling out a nice invitation. And on the back, you see the the initials of the bride and groom on the, the seal in the back. I find it fascinating that Jesus was invited to this wedding. Now, a wedding in any culture is a big celebration. In the Jewish culture, a wedding celebration at that time was the biggest party in town. It was the ultimate party. In fact, it was the funnest event on the calendar. So if you were invited to a Jewish wedding, you were considered important. And it would be the biggest celebration you would have all year long. And Jesus was there. You know, the very fact that Jesus was invited to a wedding, it tells me the kind of man Jesus was. Jesus enjoyed celebrating. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus enjoyed celebrating. Now, there's a term that some of you may be familiar with. It's the term killjoy. Have you ever heard the term killjoy? A killjoy, you don't want to be a killjoy, by the way. A killjoy is a person who deliberately spoils the fun of others. So don't be a killjoy. Jesus was not a killjoy. You see, Jesus didn't send in his RSVP thinking, okay, I'm going to go to this wedding, but I'm only going to go to police the wedding. And I'm going to go and I'm going to make sure that they don't have too good of a time. So I'm going to stand there. If I see them having too good of a time, I'm going to point my finger at them. And oh, by the way, yes, I'll go to this wedding, but I'm going to bring along a sermon just in case somebody asks me to preach a sermon at this wedding. And even if they don't ask me, I'm going to preach anyway. No, that's not what Jesus did when he sent in his RSVP. In fact, do you know what Jesus had in mind when he went to the wedding? I don't know if you've ever thought about this in connection with this passage. But Jesus had this thing in mind. He went to increase the fun. Think about that. Jesus went to this wedding to increase the fun. There's a time and there's a place for everything. A wedding is a time for celebration, And the very fact that Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding tells us just how important wedding celebrations are. But something went wrong at this wedding. Something went terribly wrong at this wedding. Let's continue on in verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Let's stop right there. The wine had run out. Now, if you've ever hosted a party, you know how embarrassing, and hopefully you haven't been embarrassed, but you know how embarrassing it can be if you've ever run out of food or beverage. A host does not want to run out of food, or beverage. It can be very embarrassing. But here's the thing about the Jewish tradition in ancient times. Weddings at that time were governed by certain social norms, like any wedding in any culture. And in that culture in ancient times, in the Jewish tradition, there were some cases where the bride and groom would take a guest who was at the wedding to court in a lawsuit. So the bride and groom would sue a guest if the gift that the guest brought wasn't good enough. Just think about that for a moment. There were certain social norms... And etiquette says that you brought a certain type of a gift. And so sometimes a bride and groom would say, your gift is insufficient. Pay up. Remarkable. So you can imagine the embarrassment felt by this bride and groom when their wine ran out at their wedding feast. It wasn't only embarrassing for them. Imagine being their parents, their entire families. In fact, this embarrassment would have lasted them a lifetime. It would have followed them for their entire lives. That's how serious it was to make such a social faux pas. So Mary goes to her son, says the wine has run out. They have no more wine. Let's see what happens next and how Jesus responds to his mother. Verse 4. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Let's stop right there, okay? Uh, In these two verses alone, there is a lot, and I mean a lot going on that we might miss at first glance. So I'm going to unfold these two verses for you. First of all, it's interesting that Jesus addresses his mother as woman. He doesn't say mother. He doesn't say mom. He doesn't say mommy. (laughs) That would have been weird. He says woman. Now before you think that that was an insult, I want you to know that Jesus was not disrespecting his mother by calling her woman. Sometimes when languages are translated from one language to another, uh, it's hard to find the equivalent. In this case, it wasn't a word of insult. We would translate it more like uh, lady or or ma'am. But nevertheless, Jesus doesn't say mother. He says woman. And this is important for us to know. He was very deliberate in the way he addressed his mother. You see, because at that moment, he was communicating to his mother, his earthly mother, that right then and there, he was now answering to an even greater relationship. And that is with his heavenly father. So no longer was he in this son-mother relationship He was now led and driven by his heavenly father-son relationship. So he was very deliberate when he said, woman. Now, Mary was not offended. Because the way she responds, she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Now, let me, let me talk about that phrase here in a second. I got a question for you. Did Jesus ever do anything outside the will of his heavenly father? No. In fact, throughout the rest of the gospel, we'll see many occasions where Jesus consults his heavenly father and time and time again, he says, I do not do things on my own. My own will. And so, because Jesus never did anything outside of his Father's will, we can be confident that at that moment, even though he initially said, Woman, it is not my hour, right then and there, he paused and he consulted his heavenly Father in prayer. And he determined that the hour. Was there that it had come, and the fact that Mary says to the servants, Do whatever he tells you, it confirms that Jesus went to his father, got counsel from his father, and determined now is a time to do something miraculous. And Mary, you know, by saying, Do whatever he tells you, I hope you understand that Mary right then and there gave the best advice that has ever been given in the history of the world. All right? So church, the advice is this. And the advice is for you and for me today. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. If you need a resolution for 2024, lay yours aside, okay? If you've made one, just put it aside. I've got a new one for you. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. And let's see what Jesus tells them to do. Verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them To the brim. Now let's stop there. Back then, it was customary to have huge jars on these estates because whenever people would gather for certain ceremonies, they would have ceremonial washings. So, in between certain events, they would wash their hands and feet ceremonially. So, these pots were already there at this estate. Jesus says, fill these pots with water. There were six stone jars. Each one could hold between 20 and 30 gallons. All right, I need help, okay? Whoever is a math expert right now, right kids? I need your help. Math experts, adults you can participate too. If each jar held between 20 and 30 gallons... And there were six of them. How many total gallons are we talking about? What range? A lot. lot. Good. (laughs) Good answer. Good answer. So one jar could hold 20 gallons. That's how many total gallons for one jar? 120. Or if it held six gallons, no, five gallons, no, six gallons. 130. 120 to 130 gallons. Is that right? 120 to 180 gallons. <laughs> <laughs> Kids, study hard so you don't end up like me. There were a lot of gallons. There were between 120 and 180 gallons. To give you an idea of how many gallons that is, take a look at this picture. How many gallons is in that water jug? Five. Some of you know that. That's five gallons right there. So each water jug back then on that estate had four gallons to six times that many. That's a lot. That is a lot of water. Now, remember what Mary said to the servants. right? Whatever Jesus tells you to do, what? Do it. Jesus instructed them to fill the jars with water. And that's a lot of work because the one thing they didn't have back then was a hose. Do you know what this meant? The servants had to walk to the well, draw water from the well, take the water back to the estate, and then fill the jug and do it over and over and over. And you know how heavy water is, right? Eight pounds a gallon, thank you. I did not know that. That's a lot of weight. Mary said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And I find this really remarkable. The servants, I'm pretty confident, they did not even complain. They just went and they obeyed Jesus. And they got water and they filled the jars And what does it say? They filled it to the what? Brim. To the very edge of the pots. They didn't say, uh, it's full enough. Two-thirds full is full enough. No, no. They filled it to the edge. It's like this. Have you ever gone to Chipotle? And and you want a big bowl. You don't want the worker who's only going to give you like a small scoop of meat, right? So Here's what I often do. I go into Chipotle. I walk in, and then I survey the workers. And I try to figure out which one's going to give me the most meat. Am I the only one who's ever done that? Am I? Am I? Yes? No. Come on. Someone else has done that before. Because I look at the one who I think is going to give me the most meat. The one that I think is the one who could eat the most, right? And so then I wait for that person and i want the biggest scoop of carne asada okay i want my bowl to overflow same thing at panda express <laughs> i want a heaping scoop of orange chicken and i want more beef than broccoli Don't skimp on our portions. So, these servants, when they were instructed to fill the water pots, they didn't stop at full enough. They filled it to the brim. Because Mary said, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. That's the best advice that we could receive heading into 2024. Whatever Jesus tells us to do, do it. Don't complain about it. Don't question it. Just do it. Again, if you need a personal motto or resolution for 2024, just make that one yours. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. And by the way, this doesn't mean that you sit and you listen for an audible voice. No. Jesus has already told us what to do is found in the word of God. We consult the word of God to see what Jesus has already told us to do. Let's continue on. Verse 8. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted that water, the water that had been turned into wine, He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Church, Jesus... Turned this social, this potential social embarrassment into social victory for this bride and groom. Jesus not only made wine, he made the best quality wine. Jesus didn't take grape juice and just allowed it to ferment a little bit, he took water and completely changed it into wine. Jesus performed this miracle, and when he performed this miracle, one thing is for sure a complete transformation took place a complete transformation now can you imagine what was going through the bridegroom's mind when the master of the banquet said other people they bring out the good stuff first you have say the best for the last can you imagine the bridegroom oh yes, yeah, no problem we just want to take care of our guests that wasn't his plan but that was God's plan all along. It was God's plan that his son would perform his first miracle at the most appropriate time and setting, a wedding celebration. This gives us a glimpse into what lies ahead for us. You know, for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, for those of us who have put our trust and hope in him, do you know what this miracle tells us? It tells us the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. If life is good for you right now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, and I hope it is, God's got something greater in store for you. Not only in 2024, but more importantly, in eternity. The best is yet to come. Conversely, for those who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this life is as good as it will ever get. For followers of Jesus Christ, the best always comes last. But I have some good news for you. The best comes last, but we get many glimpses of God's goodness in this lifetime. We don't have to wait till the end to experience his goodness. You see, here on earth, God gives us many opportunities to experience his goodness goodness and as a church as we experience God's goodness and as we experience his goodness in so many different ways here's what happens it strengthens our faith we can go down the line and look at every ministry at our church can you do this for me right now just pause think about a ministry that you are involved with at our church whatever ministry that might be. Think about a a Bible study, a life group, an outreach event that you've been part of. Think about a care or support group. Think about Sunday mornings, midweek. When we experience God's goodness, what it does is it strengthens our faith in him. It's important for us to recall spiritual victories. And also to celebrate them. 2023 was a great year for e Church. It was a wonderful year. And I believe 2024 will be an even better year. And we can always take confidence in knowing, even if it's not, even if one year is a down year, for you personally, Or collectively, the best is yet to come. And by the way, there are some great things in store for 2024 for our church. And I can't wait to share some of those exciting things with you in the coming weeks. There are some amazing things happening right now as we speak that we will get to experience and witness in 2024. So stay tuned for those uh, wonderful announcements in the coming weeks. Weeks When we experience God's goodness, it strengthens our faith. Every single one of us needs to be encouraged in our faith. These victories renew our faith. In the final two verses, it talks about this renewal of faith. Look at verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. Did you catch that? After witnessing this miracle, the disciples believed in him. Now, here's a question for you. didn't the disciples already believe in Jesus? Right? They did. That's not a true question. Did the disciples already believe in Jesus? Yes. And yet it says here, they believed in him after witnessing this miracle. Here's the most remarkable thing about this miracle. John doesn't tell us that the bride and groom believed in Jesus after they witnessed the miracle. John doesn't tell us that the parents of the bride and groom came to faith or that any of the other guests came to faith. Now, it's possible that they did. But John tells us instead that the disciples believed in Jesus. They had already made a commitment to follow him, and yet John Emphasizes the fact that they, which includes who? Himself. Believed in Jesus all over again. After witnessing this miracle. You know, whenever I give an invitation here on Sunday mornings. To give people an opportunity to make a commitment to follow Jesus. If you've ever found yourself whispering the prayer along with me. Even though you've said a prayer like that many, many years ago. If you've ever repeated that prayer in your own mind while I give the invitation, even though you are a believer already, guess what? It's okay. In fact, it's more than okay. If you repeat that prayer periodically, it can actually help strengthen your faith. Now, we don't say that prayer over and over again because we lost salvation. And we have to regain salvation. No. No one can ever take your salvation away from you. Even if your salvation has been on idle for a while. No one can take that away from you. But when the disciples saw Jesus perform this miracle. And when it says that they believed in him. What it was saying was, you know what? They believed in Jesus. But now they believed in Jesus all over again. Their faith was renewed you see the reality is this if you gave your life to jesus at some point in your life you were changed and you were transformed but did you know that that transformation doesn't happen all the change doesn't happen all at once now the transformation process of being changed by nature happened but by practice it takes a long time So we were given a new nature at the point of salvation, but practically speaking, it takes a long time to change us. And that's why in recent weeks I've asked you, how has Jesus changed you? Jesus is constantly changing us. And so when the disciples saw their master perform this miracle, they believed in him. Even though they already had believed in him. I want to close out 2023 by giving some of you an invitation to follow Jesus today. For those of you who have already given your life to Jesus, I'm going to share a prayer. If you've already given your life to Jesus, it's okay to pray this prayer with me today. In fact, I encourage it. In fact, I'm going to exhort you to pray this prayer with me. If you've never prayed a prayer like this, I invite you to pray this prayer today and give your life to Jesus. Trust him with your life and walk with him all the days of your life. I'm going to ask every one of us to bow. Children, I'm going to ask you to bow with Pastor Tim. I'm going to ask all of us in the wiggle room here in the worship center to bow together. And I want every one of us where you are seated, would you repeat this prayer after me? if you've given your life to Jesus already and you've prayed a prayer like this, may this strengthen your faith. If this is the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like this, I want to celebrate with you. And this time, instead of praying it silently, would you repeat this prayer out loud with me? Please repeat this. God, Thank you for sending Jesus into the world to save me. I believe in him. I put my trust in him and I will follow him. Father, if if anybody said that prayer for the first time, I pray that they would understand what they just prayed. Thank you for sending your son into the world to save us. Thank you for the hope that he has brought to us. If anybody has said that prayer for the first time, we welcome them into your family, God. For those of us who have said that prayer in the past, Maybe many years ago, I pray that as we pray that prayer, that it renewed our faith, that it strengthened our faith, that as we head into 2024, that it would give us confidence in you, knowing that you have spiritual victory that awaits us. Because for the follower of Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. For that, we give you all glory.